Grass, a podcast. We are your hosts, Carrie Wee and Kelly McVeigh, now part of the Digitant family of podcasts. How's it going, guys? Before we get started, check the show notes to join the Greener Grass family. Opt in for our newsletter. You'll get breaking news, more links and photos on our guests, and uh, all the goodies. All right, my friends. Um, this story is incredible. I I was on this one with Kelly and... You know, when we bring a guest, the other person doesn't really know the ride that they're going on. And I was like taken for a ride with this story. So I'm going to let her tell her story. I'm not going to give you guys too much of a spoiler. But um, this is Jamie Dahl. And um, it's a story of survival and um, perseverance. Uh, it is It is a story about breast cancer. So... Um, I'm just going to let you guys dive in. All right, guys, let's get started. Hello, Greener Grass listeners. I can't believe we're into our new season. You've had a few new episodes drop, and we have a really, um, really amazing person that I continue to meet incredible people along my path, along my journey. And Jamie is definitely one of those people. So she came to me um, from the past business that I worked with. And one of the reasons, Carrie, you'll love this as well. One of the reasons that I just love um, how I first met Jamie is I was at a corporate event and Jamie came up and introduced herself. I had mentioned before that I taught ballet, that I had a love for ballet. And she brought me this incredible book um, around dance. So she too is a former dancer. She spent some time on Broadway, which is amazing. Um, but that was the first um, real connection that I ever had with Jamie, which I feel like was just special because, I mean, Carrie, that's part of the reason we're connected, right? Dancers always have like a special bond. And then just through the years, I mean, I guess... Jamie, you probably know better, but maybe at this point, we probably have known each other for maybe seven or eight years as a guess, a roundabout guess. But I've gotten to continue to watch her path and her journey, some big um, life hurdles that she had to overcome, but how she took them on and leading her to the space that she's in today. So Jamie, welcome. Jamie Dahl, welcome. And I would love, Jamie, for you to just start off by giving everybody just a little intro of where you're at, who you are, where you started your started your life, and just a little intro of yourself. Yeah, well, thank you, um, both of you. Thank you, Carrie and Kelly, for having me today. It's, I'm really excited to, to be here and share my story. And uh, yeah, so I, gosh, I, um, you're right, Kelly. You know, we met probably close to seven years ago, and uh, a lot has happened since then, uh, but just a little background on me. So I um, I live in Wisconsin in the Midwest, and I am married to my wonderful husband. His name is Andrew. We've been married for almost 16 years, and we have two daughters. They're ages 12 and 13 and a half, uh, both going on 30, I swear. Uh, <laughs> yes, and dancers <laughs> themselves, dancers yes. themselves, I see. Yes. Yep, they are dancers themselves. And uh, yeah, you know, I grew up, um, grew up in the Midwest, but I moved around quite a bit. Uh, I lived in LA, I lived in New York, I lived in Austin, Texas, Oklahoma, Nashville, kind of all around um, doing multiple things. And like you said, Kelly, one of those things was dance. I grew up dancing. And uh, so when I, I lived in New York, I was um, 
I was on scholarship at Steps on Broadway and uh, just auditioning for things that would come through town. So I worked for Disney and for VH1 and um, and for 20th Century Fox. And uh, and then um, I was on a national tour for actually a contemporary Christian singer back in the late 90s. I was one of his backup dancers and we had um, a large bus and truck tour. Um, I think, uh, Carrie, I know you've done some amazing things too, a lot, not, you know, along the tour lines, not, you know, mine was definitely probably not quite that scale for sure. But um, uh, so, yeah, I just, I love dance. It's been just a part of my life uh, and just a little bit of, of who I am. Um, but then I've also taught second grade. So I love kids. I love being around um, children. I love teaching. Uh, and I, I worked in the fashion industry in Los Angeles with a, a stylist um, and assisted her on projects and working with um, a lot of you know, personalities and helping with their wardrobe and for photo shoots and award shows, things like that. Um, but then ultimately brought it came back to my hometown area here in Wisconsin, and that's eventually where I met my husband and um, been here ever since. So we have a, uh, my husband has a family business. Uh, we're in the car industry. So we have um, car dealerships. And uh, so my dad always jokes that he never thought I'd marry a car salesman. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but thrilled that I did. So that's just a little, I guess, a little background on just um, who I am and what I've done in the past. So Jamie, I love, I had no idea that you also were a stylist and in the, the fashion realm a little bit, that does no surprise whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love that you really have been, I mean, it's crazy that that was how your life started, that you were here, there and everywhere, um, and did so many things before coming home and settling down and 16 years. I know that you guys have an amazing relationship, Um, just, I guess I should say that from an outside perspective of watching, but you guys have really grown through the years together. And do you have, I could be making this up, but did you guys have like an, a crazy way you met or did he do something crazy, like an engagement or something, or am I making that story up? Uh, well, he, we had kind of a fun engagement. We got set up sort of on a, um, between some friends at a a dinner party. It was all these couples. And then I got asked to come and I was single and he was single and and they paired us next to each other. So we're very grateful for our friends that did that. Um, but yeah, he, he kind of had a fun, um, fun engagement story. He, uh, hit a little box. Um, I was living in, in my, my home at the time and he was living at his home and, um, he sneaked over one day and hit a little box. that looked like the size of a ring box under my Christmas tree. It was Christmas time. And so I woke up one morning and I went out and I noticed this little box. I thought, oh my gosh, it looks like a ring box. Maybe he's going to propose. And, but it was two weeks until we were going to be able to actually have the time to, to open presents. And so I had to sit there and wait for two weeks um, and <laughs> come to find out what was in the box was just a pair of earrings. And so, uh, but then he surprised me and dropped on when he and, and proposed. And um, yeah, so just, just kind of a fun, fun story. I love that. So part of the, you know, we had the opportunity to work together um, and actually it was beauty counter. So I've gotten to meet some incredible women at all the companies I was at. Um, But I met you at beauty counter and really, you know, beauty counter as well as the company I'm with now really has kind of an emphasis about health and wellness and toxic load and chemicals and crazy enough that you started that journey and kind of being a part of beauty counter, um, then to come to find out a few years later, and you can give me the exacts. I'm, I'm sure I'm not saying the details correctly. Um, but you were diagnosed with breast cancer. So 
it's interesting. I think that sometimes, you know, people deal with cancer or breast cancer, and that leads them to the space of learning more about toxic chemicals or learning about health and wellness in a different way. You kind of were already on that path when you were diagnosed. Can you tell us a little bit just about um, how you, you know, I think that happens for women so many different ways. They, they self-diagnose and they find something or it's their regular mammogram. Like how did that happen for you? Yeah. So you're right. I was on this journey just to, you know, learn more about how to decrease my toxic load and not only in just for myself, but for my family and my daughters. And, uh, and so, you know, you learn all these statistics about breast cancer and how, you know, one in eight women will be diagnosed with breast cancer. And, and you just, you learn all these statistics, but you never think that you're going to be one of them. And then that's exactly what happened to me. So, you know, I was a healthy young woman with no history of breast cancer in my family, uh, no genetic marker. And uh, I was just busy doing all the things like all of us um, moms and many other women are, are doing just always, you know, busy running around getting things done. And then all of a sudden, my world just stopped on a dime. And what happened was, um, I, I had felt a, a lump in my breast, uh, just on a, a self exam. And I, you know, of course, we immediately thought, Oh, I'm sure it's nothing. Uh, you know, it's just maybe some fibrous tissue or something that has to do with my cycle. It's, it's, I'm sure it's nothing. And I, of course, like many of us moms do, I just, I kind of let it go because I'm busy taking care of everybody else. And so it was a few months um, went by and, and mind you, I had just had a clean mammogram. So again, thinking this is nothing. And a few months went by and one of my very close friends, who's also a mom, whose um, sons went to the same school that my daughters went, stopped me in the uh, the drop-off line at, um, at school. And she came to my window and she said, I have breast cancer. And I was, was completely blown away because at that point, now it got really close to home. This was a, a friend who was now, uh, diagnosed with breast cancer and a peer. And so I immediately went directly home, called my doctor and said, I found this lump. I, I think I should probably get it checked out. Long story short, I uh, had an ultrasound and biopsy right then. And sure enough, got the call a few days later that it was indeed, breast cancer. And it was actually uh, a pretty serious form. It's, um, I had what's called triple negative, which can be a very aggressive type of cancer uh, that grows quickly. Um, hence having a clean mammogram. And then a few months later having a lump. Wow. And uh, so it was very scary, very scary. I had to have a, um, I started first with chemotherapy and I had four rounds of very strong chemo uh, every three weeks. And I'd lost all my hair. Um, completely lost all my strength. I mean, all the things you hear that chemo does, it did. And um, and then after that, I had a double mastectomy with reconstruction at that time. And that's this was all in 2017 when all of this happened. Wow. Wow, Jamie. How old were your girls? They were six and eight. And you had a clean mammogram like a handful of months before. Yes, I had it in November and I was uh, diagnosed in, let's see, I felt the lump in January and I was diagnosed in March. Okay, so did they miss something in the mammogram or did it grow that it, fast? It grew it? that fast. Wow. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I'm floored over here. I had no idea. Yeah. I think it's a good call out too for women yeah. to realize that not only if you feel something to just be so aware and to really actually, cause 
again, as women, we're doing 10 million things. We're taking care of everyone else um, to really know your body and to, to really think through that and just to actually get your mammograms. I think, you know, I think people are better about it, but I also think, again, people are busy and it's like, oh, well, my last one was, was good. Like I can wait till the next one. Um, but that it was growing that fast is, is really crazy. Mm-hmm. Did it, did it have the opportunity to spread at all or did it stay in the breast? So thankfully when they went in for surgery, they, you know, they always do a biopsy of your lymph nodes to see if it has spread. And thankfully, no, it hadn't, it was not in my lymph nodes. So they considered it stage one, uh, and they typically can't give you a stage until they do the surgery because that's when they know if it's in the lymph nodes or not. Uh, so because I caught it quickly, uh, because we treated it right away um, and did all the things that we could do at the time, then uh, I it was fine. It was fine. So there's so much to that. I also think the way, you know, the universe, faith, God, all the things like the fact that, that your friend, your peer came up to your window and had that conversation with you too, is part of the reason that led you to go to the doctor so quickly. And I feel like it's just amazing that that's sometimes the way things happen that led you to go to the doctor quickly. Did you feel, I mean, obviously this isn't even a of course you were scared. Of course you felt fear, all of those things, but knowing that it was the form that was spreading quickly, did that obviously put an, another layer onto the whole, the whole thing? Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And it's interesting because my, my friend who was diagnosed, uh, at the same time, you know, she had a different, a different type that, um, and so that I remember her saying, uh, her doctor had told her, if you're going, going to have breast cancer, the one that you have is the best one because it's, it's not quite as aggressive. So you kind of have that comparison of, oh my gosh, I've got the one that you don't want. Um, not that you want any of them, of course, but, right. uh, but yes, I mean, there was definitely, I mean, I, there's just this feeling of, um, overwhelming fear, of course, because you don't know what's going to happen here. I have these young daughters. I have a wonderful husband. Uh, I have so much life that I want to live yet. And you just, you, of course, your mind wants to go to that worst case scenario. Uh, but, you know, like you said, you know, Kelly, for me, really the faith piece was something that was really important for me that gave me a lot of peace through all of that. And, uh, and I really focused on just having that positive mentality, the best that I could. I mean, yes, there were days that I was literally curled up in a ball, crying, sobbing. Um, but then I wouldn't allow myself to stay there very long because I knew that I had to get up. I had to fight this. I had to be positive uh, for my girls, for myself. Um, I had to do, you know, a lot of um, a lot of prayer, a lot of uh, just positive affirmations in the sense of, you know, I am well, I am healed. Um, I would, I would put. Uh, Bible verses about healing all over my home and on sticky notes. And whenever I would go to the refrigerator, I would see it and I would read it and I would just absorb it. And, um, you know, so yes, there's a ton of fear, but also knowing that, um, that because of my faith and being able to really lean on that, I also had equal amounts of peace, which was just really what got me through that whole time. How did you, um, I mean, I know that your husband and you are locked up and everything, but is there, did you 
not take on, but was there, how did you talk, approach it with the kids? Did you have the conversation straightforward? Did you, how, what did that look like? Because they, they were younger. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know, obviously you had to have the conversation because you went through the chemo and the hair loss and all those things, but what did that, how did you approach that with the girls? Yeah, that's a great question because it is it's one of the first things you think of, especially as a mom is, you know, again, here that fear thing comes in, you, you start having this fear of uh, how, how are my kids going to take this? Is this going to affect them negatively? Are they going to be fearful? Are they going to be fearful of doctors, of cancer, of whatever, the, you know, whatever it is? Um, how am I going to be able to function as a mom? Um, I'm not going to be able to give them what I feel like they need right now in this season. You know, all of those questions come up. Uh, but my husband and I talked about it and we really decided that you know, we had two options. We could either completely shield them from this, um, obviously, except for the things that they would see um, in the home in regards to me and my health, or we could include them in the process and use it as a learning opportunity for them to show them how our family goes through trial because they're going to have trial in their life. And, and if they don't know how to process things and go through things and deal with difficult times in their life, if we don't give them the opportunity to do that and walk them through it and model that for them right now as, as children, once they go off as adults you know, and they're out from under our, our roof, uh, how are they going to handle it on their own? So we really took it as an opportunity to, uh, to do that. Um, but of course, we wanted to make sure that everything we did and said was age appropriate. So we were very honest. We were very open um, in what was happening. We used all anatomically correct language. Um, we talked about the breast. We talked about, you know, cancer, you know, all the things. Um, and we, you know, I, I just included them on everything. And I, I said, okay, I'm going to go in for, for my, um, my, my chemotherapy. And we explained what that was and how that would affect me, but how it's, you know, this drug is going to make me pretty sick, but it's killing the cancer cells. And, um, we would help, we would include them in, uh, even just, I remember when I had my surgery and I had drains after getting my, um, mastectomy and, and reconstruction. And we asked them, do you want to be involved with helping mommy clean my drains and every day? And, and if they didn't want to, that was fine, but they did, they wanted to be involved because I think as children, uh, they want to be helpful, but they don't know how. And so when you give them opportunities to help in ways that they feel comfortable, they feel useful, they feel helpful, they feel involved, and they, they're less scared because they know what's going on. Um, and so, yeah, my daughter would glove up and she, she was eight years old with my mom, who was also a retired nurse, but she would glove up and she would clean my drains and my other daughter would hold my hand and do deep breathing exercises. And uh, it was just really sweet. Um, they would get my toothbrush for me. Uh, they'd button up my jammies for me when I couldn't do it myself or you know, just little ways that they could help um, is really how we approached it. You know, obviously, did we go to a place where we would say I could die from cancer? No, we never went there because it was not, we knew that they were not an age where they could um, absorb that information healthily. Um, so we never really talked about that until they were, we were past it all. They were a little bit older. Um, but yes, I think it's important to to include them as much as possible. So the, I know that this is the least part of the process, but you're gorgeous. You look beautiful. I started today by saying you're gorgeous and you're beautiful. And I remember when 
you posted the pictures and we'll post these obviously with your permission, but you took these incredible pictures, um, bald, but I just got goosebumps. The pictures, wait till you see these pictures, Carrie, they're freaking phenomenal. She looks like a model, but it was with your head shaved. Um, what did that feel like? Because that is also, I would think a process part of it. Like, obviously you're, the whole thing is for survival. The whole thing is for life, but there has to be a process of you're losing your hair, the concept of your breasts, which are, you know, your femininity, which we're going to talk about, I'm sure more as this goes on, but what is that whole process like? And was that a big deal to you at the time or were you, or was it not just because you were in such a bigger fight? It, you're right. It, it was a big deal. Um, because I think as a woman, you never really, you never really go there of thinking, gosh, there could be a day when I am walking around completely bald. I mean, you just, you never think about that as a woman. And so when you're faced with that, it really, you know, it, it took me to a very, um, a very stripped place in so many ways. This whole process took me to a very um, vulnerable place because not only did I lo completely lose my hair, which is a very outward sign of um, you know illness, and it's like you said, women. I mean, so much about of our identity in a, in a way, and our like you said, our femininity can be with our hair. Uh, but I just, I mean, I I looked. I did not. I did not look healthy because obviously I was going through chemo. So my physical outside appearance of everything that I knew that I thought was me, that was Jamie was gone. And, um, it's when I actually did shave my head, uh, when my hair started falling out, um, I had a, my hairdresser come over and she, bless her heart. She, she came to my, my home and sat outside with my girls. We included them in this process too, with a, um, a razor. And she started shaving my head. My husband did a little bit. My, both my girls did some, we asked them if they wanted to, and they did again to include them. Uh, and, you know, it was one of those moments where I just really needed, I knew I needed to be strong for them. And, uh, but boy, when it, when it came all off and you look at yourself in the mirror and you see this shell of yourself, it can be devastating. And there's definitely a grief process that you go through. Um, and there's still times when I look back at pictures, um, you know, we always call it BC at our house. Everything was BC before cancer. And when I even look back at pictures of myself, I, I almost, I grieve that person in some ways. However, I look back on all of that. And during that time, I feel like, you know, God really used that time to show, um, show some areas of my life that I needed to work on. And one, um, there was just a little bit of pride there that I needed to work on. And I think he was teaching me that, you know, so much of who we are, well, all of who we are is who we are on the inside. Yes, we have, you know, this exterior, you know, we are all beautiful because we're all created in his image, but, uh, it's really about who we are on the inside. And he kind of asked me, he's like, you know, if all of this is gone, who are you? What, what makes you who you are? Um, how, you know, how do you treat other people? How are you giving, you know, giving of yourselves to help other people? That's really what matters. Um, not your hair, not your eyelashes, not your breasts, not your hips, you know, whatever it might be that um, we oftentimes attribute to, you know, what the world says is beautiful. Uh, and so I really had to kind of go to that place and really do some deep searching. And 
once I did that, I thought, you know what? It's not about our hair. Hair grows back. Uh, you know, it's not about how big our lips are or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, all those things are beautiful, but it's really about who we are on the inside. And so as hard as it was to go through that and to lose my hair, um, it really, it, it, it made me who I am today um, and more aware of really what's important in life. Agree. I, I love that. And I think, I mean, as much as this whole thing um, was a huge hiccup and a horrible, I'm sure you are the woman that you are today and going into some of the things that happened after the fact that you did, I think you wouldn't have done had you not had this be a part of your journey. Um, so you find out that things are good. What did it look like to just get the, the, you know, diagnosis after that cancer free? How long did that take? Like, what did that feel like when that happened? Yeah, it was, um, it was, that was a wonderful day. Uh, so, you know, I'd had all this chemo. It's probably about maybe a total of about six months of the chemo, the um, surgery. And once they did all the pathology after the surgery, that's when they really, you know, they test the tumor, the, what's left of the tumor after chemo and to see if the cells are completely dead, if there's still cancer that's detected or not. And um, so I got the call from the hospital and I think it's uh, quite fitting that the woman who called me, she was one of the nurses there in the oncology center. Her name was Joy. And uh, she called to tell me that the cancer was dead and that I had, was cancer free. And there's just, I mean, such a wave of relief, obviously, that comes over you when you feel like, okay, I'm on the other side of this. Um, there was still a huge process that I had to go through. I mean, it took about a year um, to not only recover physically, but emotionally, because then at that, you know, you're in this fight mode through that whole, those six months. And then once you kind of get that, that say that, okay, you're good it's this release. And then you really start to feel everything that you went through and you really, it takes time to process that. Uh, so there was probably a whole nother year of physical and emotional healing that I had to go through. Um, and, you know, to get back on, you know, kind of a somewhat normal new normal track. Um, so yeah, it was, that was probably, I think probably one of the best days of my life, getting that, getting that phone call. Um, but it, it was, it was, it was the beginning of kind of this new chapter and new season of my life. So new chapter, new season, um, you wrote a book and I would love to, for you to one, share the book's name and like, how did you get to that process where you decided that that was a part of your next chapter next season of life and sharing really just so much uh, being vulnerable, I guess, in that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, when I was first diagnosed, I wasn't really sure if I, how vulnerable I was going to be with my story because, and, and I completely respect people have different opinions on that when they're going through something. And I think some people prefer to be very private about it, which is absolutely fine. Um, and then some people prefer to be a little more vocal about their stories, I debated what to do and just felt very, um, very called to be more vulnerable and more open with mine. And when I did that, I just felt, um, I just got so much, so much response from other women and, and some men too, that were just going through trials and difficult things, uh, just saying, gosh, okay, I understand. Or someone is out there that understands what I'm going through and how helpful that is. 
And then especially as I got through my, my whole journey, uh, I had all these women reaching out to me, either ones that were recently diagnosed or had friends that were diagnosed, and they all had a lot of the same questions. You know, how did you get through this? How did you handle losing your hair? How did, just like you said, how do you tell your kids? Um, what kind of foods did you eat? And I kept thinking, I wish I had, I wish I could just take everything that's in my head and just hand it to you. Uh, and so out of that necessity, I guess, and desire um, came the book. And I just thought if I can just put everything on paper, then I have something that I can give to people that can hopefully give them hope. And, um, and just a sense of being seen. Uh, I think when you go through something difficult like, like this, you feel very alone. And you just want to know that you're seen that somebody sees what you're going through and understands. So, uh, so yeah, so I wrote a book, it's called I have two words for you. And um, it, it was really a kind of a labor of love. Uh, it was a way too for me to go back and really process a lot of my feelings. So it was very healing for me just to write it and get everything out on paper. Uh, but then to have, like I said, something that I could use um, as a tool to help other women that are um, going through something similar. Okay. I, I just love, and I have not read the book. So I'm purchasing the book. I'm going to do it this afternoon. I'm going to send you a screenshot so you can see that I did it because um, I just love that you were, it's a huge vulnerable experience to share. And you're right. I think that so many people don't, you don't understand it unless you've done it. And so for you to be able to give and share in that way is huge. So pivoting from the book and I might be skipping a little bit, but, um, I think it's uh, so aligned with all of this. And I don't know if you consider this another chapter or another season or if this is just a continuation of all the things that have happened, one of the reasons that I reached out to you is because, again, you shared in a super, super vulnerable way. Um, what I would say is another outcome of being someone with breast cancer on this journey, you did choose um, to have reconstruction after the double mastectomy, which I think a lot of women probably do choose. And you probably know that a little bit more. Um, but then to be diagnosed, and you can share, I might not be saying this right, but being be di diagnosed with the implants were making you sick. Um, and like what that looked like and then deciding and making the choice to take the implants out. That's a huge decision, I think, as a, as a woman. And you say that in your post. And of course, we'll share your Instagram because I think everything about the fact that you're willing to share in such a big way um, and willing to share like how it came to be that decision. So how are you feeling in like, do you consider this like another chapter or is this just a continuation of the season and the chapter you're in? And then yeah. share how that came to be. Sure. Uh, yeah, I think this is all another chapter um, because I feel like you know, going through breast cancer, that was, that was definitely just you know, a season in my life. And I feel like this is just like you said, I think that's a great way to describe it as another chapter to my story. And what happened was uh, probably about a year and a half ago, I started noticing that I was having these strange symptoms um, that I couldn't really put my finger on why they were happening. And they were symptoms like uh, just this dull headache in the back of my head that was constant, uh, difficulty breathing at times, some dizziness, lightheadedness, um, 
just like a constant lump in my throat, brain fog. Uh, what else? I'd have oh, extreme dry eye to the point where I couldn't wear my contacts. Um, I would wake up in the morning with anxiety, and I don't struggle from anxiety with anxiety at all. And I would wake up in the morning almost like you're if you're underwater and you come up and you take a big breath, and that's how I'd wake up and with this anxious feeling like, oh, of all the things I had to do that day, and that was just very uncharacteristic for me. And I so, but all of these symptoms were things that uh, could be attributed to many things, like. Um, menopause because when I went through chemo that immediately put me into menopause so you know I thought well it could be you know the hot flashes all these they could all be menopause the brain fog that all could all be that but I really it, it just kept nagging at me that something wasn't right and so um, a very someone that's very close to me uh, was going through some health issues of her own and she had uh, breast implants that she had put in probably about 18 years ago or so and same kind of thing. No one could figure out what was wrong with her. She had all these crazy symptoms. And finally, someone said, do you think it could be your implants? So she went in um, and talked to a, you know, a surgeon and she had them removed and she instantly started feeling better. And so I just started seeing all of these patterns and I would start doing some research on breast implant illness and just talking to more people that I knew had struggled with this. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's me. That's me. That's me. And, you know, I, I just, I made a point just to be very methodical about what I was doing to get to this point. Um, I would just take one step at a time. I would talk to one person, get some answers, and then I would make another decision. That next decision would be going to my functional medicine doctor and having him test my heavy metals levels. That, would, that came back um, elevated in certain um, elements that are commonly found in breast, um, breast implants. That led me to another step. Okay, now I'm going to do this. And so I just very methodically took it one step at a time, just continued to pray about the whole thing and just ask God to just show me, show me the answers. And that's exactly what he did. So it was actually after I got that um, heavy metals test back, that was kind of the, the final straw. I said, okay, this, that's it. I'm done. I got it. I have to get these out. And so I, I found a, a surgeon who um, specializes in explant surgery and of taking the implants out. And so grateful that I did. And again, another answered prayer, because when she got in there, she found that the left implant was grossly ruptured and was leaking silicone. Um, thankfully, it was still enclosed in the tissue capsule that they put um, the implants in. So it, the silicone itself wasn't physically on my organs. Uh, but it was still leaking into my system through, through the tissue. And it, to the point, I mean, it was grossly discolored. It was a bright yellow color where most implants are kind of a pale, um, almost a clearish color. It was bright yellow. It had a big tear on the one side. It looked like a Pac-Man actually. And I asked her, I said, how long has it been like this? And she said, well, you know, obviously I can't tell you exactly, but based on the coloring of it, it's probably low digit single or like low digit years that it's been this way. So crazy. it was crazy. And the crazier thing was the minute that I woke up from surgery, my headache was gone. And some of my symptoms just started to just peel off and just be gone. And so it was really just this eye-opening experience. Um, you know, the, what was 
So it was, I was joyful. I was so happy. I was like, oh yes, I finally have these things out of me. I'm so grateful because the doctor even said, had you left them in, you would have had serious health complications um, down the line. Uh, but then I had to go through another grief process because I completely lost, you know, because I'd already had a mastectomy. I had no breast tissue. Um, and so we chose to do an aesthetic, aesthetic flat closure, which means that you are completely flat. Um, there's no nipples, no, no nothing. You just, you just have scars across your chest and all the way down to your rib cage and your pec muscles. And, uh, and so again, it was a little difficult because that is part of your femininity, I think as a woman. Uh, but I was prepared for it because I had already gone through losing my hair. God had already worked on my heart as it related to just physical appearance and what, again, what the world feels says is beautiful. And I, I know that my worth is not in my body, my physical body. That's not my worth. That's not, um, that's not what makes me uh, fearfully and wonderfully made. It's, um, it's my heart and my spirit. So, uh, so yeah, I've had to make some adjustments in clothing and, you know, how, how I dress, but, you know, I feel more confident and more comfortable in my skin now than I ever have. Um, it's different. Yes. But, um, I just feel God's grace and his mercy. Um, and the fact that he essentially saved my life again. Um, so that's kind of been the next chapter as you could say. I think, um, I mean, I read your post was amazing. Obviously you're a writer at this point, you're an author. So when I read your post, um, and it is now even hearing you talk about it, I do think, unfortunately, you've had this process over the time of losing so much to get to the space of where you are. Um, but I, I too, when I read it, thought that would be a big thing. Like that would feel like a big thing. Do you feel like your scars are scars that remind you of what you overcame and that you are living? Or do you look at your scars as, do you know what I'm trying to say? Like, do your scars hurt you or do you feel not joy, but what, how far you've come and, and what you've, that you're here? Right. I do. I, I embrace my scars um, because one, it, it just shows me um, it's, it just shows me my path that I've been on and who I am now because of those scars. Um, I also see them as just, you know, actually, I'll give you this quote. I love this quote. One of my good friends um, shared this quote with me and she said, uh, she said, scars are the stars that light the path for others. And that's what I, that's exactly what I feel about my scars. It's if I didn't have this, if I didn't have this trial um, that I've gone through, I wouldn't be here with the two of you today. I wouldn't have the opportunity to share my story, to share the importance of not having, you know, your, not believing that your worth is in your physical body um, and not being able to help other women that are going through breast cancer. So if it weren't for those scars, I wouldn't be able to do what I do today and have that purpose. And I feel that, um, you know, there's a verse that I love that, you know, God says that he can turn all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so he can turn cancer into something good. He can turn uh, breast implant illness into something good and use it for his purposes to help other people. And so for me, it's an honor to be able to do that. Yeah, it's been tough. It's been a tough road. Um, but I can look back on it now and say that 
I am so grateful for the journey and for the trial um, because it's given me the opportunity to, to do what I'm doing right now. So new season, new chapter. Do you, I, I think I already know the answer. Our listeners may already know the answer to this too, but I'm sure that there are other women who come to that place of deciding whether they want to get the implants or there are someone out there that maybe um, they're, they hear their body telling them something, but they're unsure and maybe they have gone through that process. Are you going to take it farther than just the post that you shared with everyone? Or is that where, you know, I'm sure you'll always be sharing, but are you going to do anything more with sharing this message? I'm sure you're a part of a greater community network of women survivors are you going to take this a step further or just be vulnerable always in conversation and connection? Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, I just, I just shared it, shared all this, um, about almost a week, I think we could go today. Yeah. So it's, it's new in putting in this new chapter, I guess it's new for me putting this out there. Uh, it took me about six months to kind of get the courage up to, to do it. Uh, so I'm honestly, I'm not really sure. I, it's always going to, it's going to be a part of my story and a continuation of this whole journey. And I'm just, I'm just kind of watching and seeing how, um, what direction it goes. Uh, again, my ultimate, my ultimate goal in all that I do is just to be a voice for other women and, um, you know, and to share my story and to share just where I draw my strength and how that's helped me, uh, in all of these things, these difficult things that I've gone through. So, you know, I'm not really sure I, where that's going to go. And I, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to kind of explore that, I guess. Well, Jamie, I just think you're an amazing human person, woman. I, I loved, um, although I hate that you've had so much, I, you are someone that shares it in such a graceful, um, open, vulnerable way. And you know, we'll of course link to your Instagram and all of the things, share your book so that people can dive in to hear more, to follow your journey and your path as you explore, like what, what this next chapter and season looks like. Um, and as well, and I'm sure, you, you know, you are someone that wants to give to others. That's your ultimate purpose. So if there's someone out there that has a question or is struggling or, are going through that right now themselves, you know, whether it's just being di diagnosed or moving um, on to, you know, implants or whatnot, like you are, are always someone that I think that someone could send a message to um, and you would be a great connection and network. I so appreciate it. Carrie, do you, I didn't want to wrap up and not give you the opportunity to say anything. <laughs> oh my God. So like, I'm listening to this for the first time. Like, that's part of what's, I, Kelly gets to do this on my interviews too. She's like, I have no idea what I'm stepping into. And so the first part is like, like so tragic and beautiful the way you came out of it. And you got this diagnosis of like cancer free. And so I'm thinking to myself, okay, she decided to get, you know, she had the double mastectomy. She got reconstruction, happy ending. Mm -hmm amazing. And then boom, you hit me with the second part of your story. And I'm over here like, like grabbing my face, sitting on the edge of my seat. And 
I mean, to have like a double whammy of that, um, I, I can't even imagine what that must have felt like going through. Do you feel like, did the doctor say like, do you think you would have had, because obviously there are women, I have a friend who had um, the same thing and she had breast implants that were not leaking mm -hmm. and she just was ill and like she thought she had all this autoimmune stuff going on. She got them out, same story, immediately felt better. So obviously there's those women, but you had like a, another level. You had a leakage that was not brand new. So did the doctor have any insight on if she thought you would have been fine with just regular implants that were not corrupted? She didn't say anything specifically, but when I started doing a lot of research and talking to other women, uh, the majority of the women that I talked to or read their stories were similar to your friend that they were not ruptured. Okay. So it, it does, they don't have to necessarily be ruptured as you know, um, to have the symptoms of breast implant illness. You know, it's, it's because there is this, you know, the foreign object in your body and the, um, right. and what it's made up of that, you know, it sometimes just does not sit well with, um, with women and their bodies just reject them. So, yeah. Do you have any idea if, if um, the industry is trying to, I mean, like I know nothing about implants, but there's heavy, there's traces of heavy metal in them. That's, that's like terrifying. It, it, well, it is. And, you know, again, and I'm, I'm not an expert, I'm not a chemist. And so, you know, I don't want to speak to anything specifically, you know, with the industry, uh, I can only go off of what, um, you know, my physician that did the toxic um, metals test on me told me. And he said that, that yes, these elements that are, um, that were showing high in my test are elements that are found in just the composition of, um, of those shells, those silicone shells. So I know, I wish I could have more, more answers on the industry, but it's, it's a tough thing because it, it is an industry. And so it's, it's really hard to, to know what they're going to do or not do. Uh, it's tough. Yeah. And then the people who don't suffer from that illness and are reaping the benefits of that type of surgery, you know, for the, for all the reasons why people get reconstruction after a double mastectomy, like that's a really important option. Absolutely. And that's just one thing that I want right. to make sure to make very clear is that when you're going through something like breast cancer, I mean, you're just in a fight or fight mode. You're just trying to you're making decisions quickly. Uh, you know, you're making the best decision that you can for yourself in that moment. And so there is no fault for, you know, women who choose to get reconstruction. I mean, I, I did. And because I just wanted to feel whole again. And, um, and there is nothing wrong with that. You know, everyone has to make the decision that's best for them. Uh, and, and that's great. So I think it's really just being, um, being informed before you make those decisions, just making sure you do the research. And then once you've done that, then do what feels right to you. And uh, because it is hard, you've got to make those decisions quickly and you're under duress and you're stressed and you're fearful. Um, and so, you know, I think that's the one thing I definitely want to make sure um, that people understand is that it's, it's a personal choice um, and there's no fault either way. It's just make sure that you know what you're doing before, um, before you make that decision and talk to other people um, that have gone through it. Oh my goodness. Jamie, thank you so much for coming on here. I'm, 
I love that we can, like, between me and Kelly, we, like, the stories are just so diverse. And it's so helpful, I think, for people out there. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I so appreciate you. I love having this connection with you. And we'll have to talk again soon just for fun. Um, But I will be following your story, watching this unfold, um, because I know you'll do it in the most beautiful way. And so thank you for sharing, Jamie. And we'll make sure all of our Greener Grass listeners know where to find you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you both. Oh my God, Jamie, thank you so much for being vulnerable, sharing with us. We will link um, your book if anybody wants to get that, um, to go more into the story. And, you know, if anybody out there is dealing with the same things, I hope that um, this has, it's more, you know, information and, uh, and her story can help, help you as well. So... Ah, oh, again, thank you. It was it was a super roller coaster for me as I was sitting here with my mouth open. All right, guys. Uh, opt in for our newsletter. Please honor us with a five star rating and a review. Just smash that five stars. It makes so much of a difference for us, and it's super easy to do, especially if you're on the Apple app, Apple app, Apple Podcast app. And uh, yeah, if you want to hear the sound of my voice even more, who wouldn't? the expecting aerialists, not just for aerialists. I know that that is a super niche, niche thing, but really it's about motherhood and families and, um, and making room for kids in our lives. And, um, I have a lot of fun over there. Lots of great stories. So yeah, Digenet Podcast, health and wellness. We are growing. If you want to find some like-minded, um, resources there. All right, my friends have an amazing day. Have an amazing week. We'll be at you guys with another weekly roundup next week. Over and out, this is Greener Grass.